I don't know what you come in carrying today, but I can guarantee by the time you leave, if you let the Holy Spirit, you won't be carrying that same thing. I think sometimes we forget that he came to do the heavy lifting and we try to do it for him. That's not particularly honoring to him. It's like watching your two-year-old try to make dinner sometime. God's like, yeah, I got it. Just, just do the dishes. <laughs> not for your two-year-old. I've, uh, we're starting a series called Church in the Wild. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm normally preach this series all about like church culture and why we exist and, and church can be a little about you, but not a lot about you. And, and I go into like how venue church started and who it's for. And, um, and then production and creative did an incredible video that you probably watched online and that's all great, but that's not what I'm preaching about. Um, what, what I already sort of preached about all of that stuff in the Blueprint series that we did. So if you want to know more about that in Venue Church, go back and listen to the Blueprint that we did in the summertime. I've, I've, I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to preach to you out of the life of Daniel the prophet. I think it's going to be perfectly timed for whatever you're facing right now. I think that, um, that, that when the Holy Spirit does something like that, we just have to as a church, I just got to roll with it and go with it. And everybody else has to as well. We, we may add a service next week. I haven't really got the final on that. I'm not sure what, if I want to do that right now or not. We might because our services leading up till now, even in the summer have been, you know, full, both of them. And so, so um, just be um, available for that because our, our city might need us to, and you might need to, because what I don't want you to do is just show up for the buffet every week. And uh, you know what, you know when the food tastes better is when you help make it for somebody else. And so we have a sit one, work one sort of an idea there that, that sometimes we come and we're just like, yeah, well, I'm just here for the food. That's okay for a little bit. But sooner or later, God's like, yeah, I can give you the food and I can take care of that thing in your family. Uh, you know, somebody's struggling with raising a child right now. You got maybe the first one figured out, but the second one's a little trickier. You know, you got to figure every child out. And, uh, and I feel like God's like, yeah, but tell you what, if you work in my house, then I'll work in your house. And sometimes when you get up early and you make the food and then you watch your spiritual family eat it and you concentrate on what helping somebody have a great experience or somebody's child have a great experience. Um, uh, when that happens, then God causes the food to actually nourish you more too. And so we have a sit one, uh, work one idea, you know, serve one, sit one. And so this idea of like, okay, we're going to, we're going to serve the food and we evaluate what we're doing and we evaluate and you're, they're working on the cameras right now. We do all of this. And then it's like, and then we sit and we don't evaluate heaven anymore. Then we worship and we hear the word of God. And there's just some, some powerful things that happen there. So I want to say, if you're new to us, or you're new to church here, um, you see, we come in here and, and, and we're, you know, we're able to sit cohort families in rows. We're doing our best here, but keeping church people apart is like herding cats. There's just so much love in the room. I love that, but listen, take it at your own speed. We're, we're here to bless you. We're here to serve you. Let us know how we can do that. If you need to take a chair and move it, hey man, we, we don't mind at all. We just want you to be able to worship God. There's, I think, idols of the people in Canada that have been revealed to us now that we didn't know that we were serving, but we are. The Old Testament talks about idols. You know, back in the day, you'd have a household idol that you would make out of wood or clay or gold or, or some precious metal sometimes, and you would set it up in your home, and that's what you would go to, to like, hey, my crops, I'm worried that my crops aren't going to come in, and that, you know, I'm worried about my child, I'm worried about, I, I'm barren, I, I, 
you know, I want to have a child or I want to, I don't want to be lonely. And so, so they would make an idol, a craftsman would make an idol and then they would set it up in the home. And then whenever you needed something, you would go and make a sacrifice to it. And you're like, pastor, why are you talking about that today? We don't have idols in our lives. I think a lot of us had idols in recreation and work and a lot of things that, you know what I mean? In times of plenty, idols go a little more unnoticed, but in times of famine, you find out uh, who it is that we were actually serving. And the Old Testament says, you know, here's God looking down from heaven at this tiny little idol sitting in people's homes made out of a tree that he created. And he's like, guys, he says to the craftsman, this is what he actually says, like, Israel, you're serving these gods. And your biggest issue with these gods is that you have to take extra care so that when you build them, that they can stand upright without falling over. So then you put little sugar packets under them, as I'm just giving you the vernacular today. Then you put little sugar packets under them because they'll fall over if the wind comes up. And this is who you're trusting in, and this is who you're serving. There's... There's a, a, you can't just replace an idol. You can't just take an idol out. You have to replace an idol with worship of the true God. This is a time for a reset in our nation, a time for a reset in your life. This is a God-given moment of opportunity that I don't want you to miss. I think sometimes God sets up an idol in our lives that we've been trusting in, and he puts a, a golf ball on its head. And then hits a 500-yard drive just to show you that he can the things that you trust in to fix your marriage probably won't fix your marriage, but God can. The things that you trust in to your kids grow up, don't get all messed up. That's the first rule of parenting. Don't mess up your own kids. If you work in venue kids, don't mess up other people's kids. <laughs> One time, let me tell you a bit of a story here. One time, uh, when I was real little, I think I was maybe four, my mom took me to the health nurse and, uh, Thank you if you're uh, in the medical profession. Thank you for what you do. Don't do this. She took me to a little hallway to test my hand-eye coordination and gave me one of those, I think one of those big red bats. You remember those, those big plastic bats? Now, she didn't know, she was testing my hand-eye, so she was going to just, you know, pitch me a, a ball from like five feet away and see if I can, you know, manage to hit this thing. What she didn't know was that the, the day I was born, that my dad put, uh, went and bought a baseball bat and a glove and put it in my crib so I could play ball. You know what I'm talking about? I could hit a ball. And, uh, and this nurse is like not that far away. And I'm like, I'm looking at my mom. I'm like, an adult just asked me to do something. I'm like, can I? And mom's like, your funeral lady, if that's what you want. And she, she pitched this ball to me. And I hit that thing as hard as I could, man. And it was pinball in that hallway. This is what I want to say to you today. I think by the spirit of God that whatever the devil throws at you, it's like, devil, you can, you can throw something at me if you want to, but I'm going to swing. Because my father in heaven told me I could. It's okay. You didn't like that? Did you not understand that? I thought that was funnier than you responded. Devil, you can throw that thing at my teenage you can throw that thing in my marriage. You can throw that thing in my finances. But I'm going to swing because God said I could. And I'm not going to miss. Goliath is too big to miss. He's not too big to beat. Oh, that's good. Somebody just going to get that about halfway through. 
the service. Thanks, Sean. What if, what if one of our nation's idols and one of the idols that you served, maybe without knowing it, what if the idol that you served in your life was, get this, just the word answer. God, give me, give me an answer to this problem. I'm not happy. I want an answer. I want you to make me happy. I'm not, I don't have any money. I don't, I'm lonely. I'm, God, I just need an answer. Like, do, do my kids go to school now in the fall or do we homeschool? Anybody ever homeschooled? <laughs> God, what do we do? I just need an answer. What do I, do I keep this person on my staff or do I let them go? Or do I, I just want an answer, God. Like we're fighting in our, in our relationship. I just want an answer. And in Canada, it's so easy just to focus on the answer. Just get the answer. You come to church and it's like, God, just give me the answer. Like, yeah, this is all great, but I hope pastor preaches and gives me the answer. Right? If you just give me the answer, we can save the rest of the worship time. <laughs> You're laughing, but you know it's true. Just give me the answer. I just want you to just tell me the answer. Just, just give me the answer. And we work our lives with the very basic math. And so it's like this, you know, but the trouble is we then memorize the answer. So it's like two plus two equals four. Good. Check. Check. The most important thing in that equation is the answer. It's four. Got it. It's four. Got it. God, just give me the answer. But memorizing answers works sometimes when in times of plenty, but in times of famine, it doesn't work anymore. There's something else that, that, that we are immature in our thinking about, and the Holy Spirit showed it to me in this way. It's like we're working off of math that's way too basic, and we fixated, we made an idol of the answer. So when we got the answer, we stopped searching. Right? Like, guys, you do something stupid. I know that, you know, <laughs> once a year. You do something stupid and, and your wife's all mad at you and then you go and buy her flowers and everything's okay. And then later that day, you do the same stupid thing or something new that's stupid because we're super creative and you buy the same flowers and it's not okay. You know why you're so complicated, ladies? Because you're not spiritual like we are. So complicated. It sort of worked, right? Like I did the thing. I made him his favorite meal, but you know your child is eight and it's like, what worked when they're eight is not, it's just not working anymore. And what happens is we, we start cramming the same answer into a different equation and, and a variable comes up. There's a change in the wind or your child has an experience at school and it shifts how they think and how they feel. And all of a sudden this, these words don't, they don't work anymore. Uh, when I was a kid one, one time, when I was real young, they gave me, does anybody hate, hate like uh, tests or questionnaires that ask the same question 20 different ways? Now, I'm the least patient person on planet Earth most of the time. I also create patience in other people. It's very complicated. But, so they asked this question in, in school. They asked this, and my mom actually had this sheet that we looked at a, a few years ago, and it was the funniest thing. Like, this would sum up my childhood. Is they asked a question like, what, what do you find irritating? Well, I was thinking about my life and I'm like, what do I find irritating? Well, we had just had a, 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 a kiddie pool in our backyard. This was when we lived in, in Pasadena, California. We had a kiddie pool in our backyard. You can't do that here because it's a skating rink. That's what it's called. And so there was a kiddie pool there, but it was constantly like every time you'd go out there, there'd always be bees and wasps out there attracted to the water. And every day I go out there, I'm just like, oh, this would be perfect without... I know what irritates me, 
bees and wasps, and I write that down, bees and wasps, and then I got thinking, like, I'm a little Christian, I should probably write the devil in there, because he irritates me too, so. <laughs> bees, wasps, and the devil. <laughs> then the next question, what things don't you like? I'm like, bees, wasps, and the devil. And it's like, what do you hate the most? <laughs> I got it. I got it. Bees, wasps, and the devil. What things annoy you? <laughs> and my child, I'm like, who wrote this test? Seriously. I got it. Two plus two equals four. I got it. I got it. Two plus two equals four. It always equals four. I'm always going to answer that today because that's all I can think about is going home to the pool and being annoyed and hating bees, wasps, and of course. <laughs> you and I, when we fixate on the answer, that's all that we can think about. So if I try something at Wheel of Fortune, because we watch it as a family sometimes, Aaron gets everyone right and I get everyone wrong because I'll try a word that doesn't even have the same amount of letters or even close, but my brain keeps cramming that word in there. And the letters keep changing and it's a very confusing experience because I keep cramming in the answer that I thought that I had. Even though it's obviously not the answer. But you and I do that, don't we? We fixate on the answer. We make an idol of it. Like, hey, this thing worked good. I don't have to do any more work on the equation. But then a variable comes up and, and COVID happens. And, or you're facing bankruptcy or you're facing massive problems in your home. And you can't predict anymore because your math is too simple. Your math is not graduated into the math of heaven. Now, if David had fixated on a dead lion, he never would have gotten to Goliath. This is how I face a lion. Okay, got it. Did you know that David faced a lion and a bear before he got to Goliath? Right. There was something else about David, though, like, this is how you beat a lion. This is how you beat a lion. This is how you beat a lion. He didn't, he didn't say that. Two plus two equals four. Got it. I know how to do it with a lion. Then a bear comes along. Then what? You know? And then Goliath comes along. Then what? But in defeating the lion, something about that equation, the Holy Spirit showed him, this is, here's what you need. The way to... So instead of two plus two equals four, it's more like um, finding the, the hypotenuse of a right angle triangle. So it's like A squared plus B squared equals C squared. So A squared plus B squared, it doesn't matter what variables they throw at you. All of a sudden, this equation, this, ready, formula, I can plug in variables. The situation can change, and I can still get to. But some of you have been like... Answer, the answer to question 38 is not the answer to 39. And you need a whole new way of thinking right now because we have no template that anybody can show us because the world, as we know it, have not, is not going through what we're going through right now. And God in heaven is like, y'all are fixating on an answer that's going to, you're going to need a new one tomorrow. What you need to do is start looking at the formula of life that you're living. The way you think and feel, the way I made humans to respond and react, the way money works, the way parenting works, the way relationships work, the way marriage works. You need to start understanding my formula, which will allow you the variables. You can throw as many as you want. You can throw any kind of a curveball you want, and you can still make connection, and you can still sometimes get a home run, but you'll at least get on base, which is what I want for you today. Because striking out 
That's good. I just went way off the reservation here. The formula of life. Here's a better question. Why did I respond to my husband like that? I don't feel like that's very normal. Like I can handle this thing, but I can't handle that thing, you know. Or my boss yells at me for something. I don't mind when they yell at me about that thing, but then she yelled at me about this thing and I don't know. Why did that land on me in that way? Why, when my child ignores me, does that hit me so hard? I don't, why am I like that, you know? And, and, but sometimes all we do is try to get the child to stop ignoring us so that we don't have to ask a deeper question where deeper pain and deeper failure is involved. But here's what I want to tell you, that today's failure is here so that you land on God's formula, which will get you the right answer, not just today, but tomorrow too. In a shifting environment, in a shifting emotional environment, in a shifting everything environment right now. But society says this, find your own formula. Hey, find your own truth. Have you ever heard this? The funny thing about finding your own truth is that it's not the truth. <laughs> it's only the truth as it aligns itself to the truth, the word of truth, Jesus in the flesh, that when it aligns to that truth, then it works. You know, a truth of the world would be like gravity. So you can have your own experience with gravity if you want to. Like, I don't think that gravity affects me. I found my own truth. Sure, stand on that speaker and then, you know, do a trust fall. These guys aren't going to catch you. <laughs> yeah, find your own truth. And society's like, hey, you're, you're a big deal. Just find your own truth. You can do it. You're super smart. You put two pants in one pant leg this morning. You're super, but that's not how you're going to do it out there, you know. Like, you're, you're garbage in practice, but you're going to get it in the game, you know. And society, because it's so proud, just keeps like, hey, just keep cramming the same answer in. Keeps cramming the same answer in. Like, you can do it, you know. You can... You can find yourself in, your, in yourself. And God's like, why are you, see, what you don't do to grade three classes is be like, hey, everybody just come up with your own formula to get to the answer. You find, yeah, you get all sorts of answers. What you don't do is tell them, hey, create your own math. Why? Because we already have the formula. And not everybody was made to make the formula. And, and the formula of heaven, the formula of life can make somebody who doesn't feel special a superstar. Because God is supernatural. And when you plug the right things into his formula for your life, you can look like a superstar. And people will be like, you are an amazing wife. How do you do it? And you can be like, I didn't actually. I was a mess. And then someone told me of a formula to live my life by. And it worked. That is really good preaching. Thank you, Layden. I wish everybody was like Layden right now. Some of, you grew, some of you grew up with a partial Christianity that concentrated on the answer, but not the formula. So then when the Christian kids were so sheltered because mom and dad are like, okay, we don't want anything bad to happen to them. And we don't want them exposed to sin. Like we're in the world, but we're not of the world, but we're not even going to be in the world anymore. So like you can only watch cartoons because everything else is a bit scary, but your kid's like 18 and a little tired of cartoons. You know what I mean? <laughs> And so I had that, you know, my best friend's dad was like, they're not profitable, you know, even cartoons, they're not profitable to watch. I'm like, profitable? Is it profitable to use the washroom? I don't. <laughs> True story. That actually, everybody's favorite best friend right here. It's this idea that like, if we remove all of these bad things from our kids and then the, your kids, you know, then the kids went to university, enter variables. And anybody, and, and their parents who said that sin wasn't fun, lied. If it's not fun, you're not doing it right. No. 
It's fun for a bit. Of course it is. That's its lure. <laughs> That's its attraction. Is there something in your flesh that wants it? What we didn't do is teach them the formula to live and how to get through it so that you can live in it but not be of it. There's something powerful God wants to show you today. Here's a trick for you. God's formula has more to do with your character than your circumstance. His formula is not about, it's never really about the issue that you're facing right now. Whatever that looks like. He cares about that, but he cares about you and your character. He knows that if he can get your character on track, the answer will come. And when you work on your character and quit working on your husband's character. Oh, come on, ladies. You got to laugh right now. I love you enough to say it. I'm working on your character. There's this thing when you go to your prayer time and you're like, God, my teenager's a mess. Why don't you rebuke them and smack them around a little bit because I'm not allowed to. And God's like, well, well, let's talk about you. And you're like, I don't want to talk about me. I'm not the problem. And God's like, that's the problem. <laughs> Daniel chapter 6. Darius the Mede, this king, decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces. And he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. Okay, you have problems ruling two kids in your house. Daniel's one of the guys that's ruling 120 provinces. And this king is over all of them. Like, this guy's a big deal. The king chose Daniel to others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. How we build venue church has to do with the life of Daniel. Let me show you. Because of Daniel's great ability. Um, another translation would say like spirit or wind. There was something about him that was different. Like he could catch the wind of what was going on. He could walk into a room and read the temperature. There was something prophetic about Daniel. There was something amazing about Daniel that made him a really good leader. In times of chaos. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. They were government. They just couldn't help themselves. <laughs> There's a way to be promoted by God and, and promoted at work without tearing everybody down. Oh, that's good. Watch. He was faithful... This is what I want for you. Always responsible, completely trustworthy. He was all of these things. Like, they just couldn't find any fault in him. So they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, long live King Darius. They didn't really mean that. They meant long live ourselves. It says, we were all in agreement. Again, government, they just can't help themselves. So we're all in agreement. Maybe Daniel, maybe not. We haven't talked to Daniel. We administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, governors, maybe Daniel. That the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into a den of lions. You're like, what does that have to do with anything? I, I want to say, but I'm not going to. I want to say... That governments have like a little self-fulfilling prophecy that they want to be worshipped. I want to say, but I'm not going <laughs> to. I want to say that if you're in charge of something at work, you want your rules to be worshipped. I just want to say it, but I want to say, parents, that you want to be worshipped by your children so you don't have to explain yourself to them when they're 12. Now, you better be able to explain some of your rules to them when they're 12. When they're two, they should just <laughs> shut up and do what they're told. <laughs> So that Corey doesn't get hit by a car. Amen. But as they grow, you better be able to explain yourself. You better be answerable to somebody else. But there's this thing inside of humans 
particularly the humans in positions of, of, of power, there's this thing that we want to be worshipped. You know, we want people to come to us for the answers. But you don't have the answers for your child. Heaven does. You get the answers as long as you get them from heaven. It says, and now, your majesty, sign this law so that it cannot be changed. I love how pretentious this is. An official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius, without consulting the prophet Daniel, signed the law. I think in our nation, can I just be blunt? We consulted the idols that we had been serving, but we, you know who was not consulted in all of this? The ministers of the gospel. The, the people who hear and speak for God. Did anybody get consulted? Non-essential. Oh, oh, we're finding out, oh, maybe the followers of Christ were very essential. Maybe that's how heaven speaks and delivers a nation. Maybe that's its protection. Maybe that's its prosperity. Maybe that's what deals with fear. Maybe heaven actually should have been consulted in this. Are you being critical? I'm just kind of saying what I think I need to say. But when Daniel heard that the law had been signed, here's your response. You ready? He went home and hid in a closet. He went home and, get this, knelt down as usual. Let that, knelt down as usual in his upstairs room, not in the basement, with its windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. The wind had changed, but the formula that he lived his life, the formula of life that heaven gave him, he knew would give him the result that he needed today, even though the wind had changed and the, ready? The formula was illegal. Watch, watch what happens. If you have that formula three times a day, you kneel down as you always do and open your windows to Jerusalem or the new Jerusalem or the church in the sense of like the body of Christ. You open your windows and you're like, God, I'm struggling with this right now. God, what should I? And God's like, yeah, you're a little bit off track. Let's get you back. You're worried about this. Let's get you back. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house, found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that nobody was supposed to worship or pray to anybody, divine or human? And if they don't, they'll be thrown into a den of lions. Yes, the king replied, that decision stands. It is an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. And now I love this, you know, here's God in heaven and the angels of God are like, Daniel's praying like he always does. And um, he's in a bit of trouble. And uh, Darius the Mede you know, the laws of the Medes and Persians, and God's in heaven just like, I, the Medes and the what? Yeah, Darius, like 120 provinces, kind of a big deal down here, and he's just like, they all look the same to me. All these little guys running around with giant heads, you know, making laws and making, doing this thing and wanting to be worshipped. He's just like, I, what? Daniel, I know Daniel, because I see Daniel three times a day, but this guy, he never comes. I don't know who this guy is, you know? All the things that you're worried about right now, God is not, look, sometimes he feels far off because he's not worried and you want him to be worried. But he can't because he's just not worried. He's just not a worried God. And he told the king, this man Daniel, one of the captives 
from Judah is ignoring you in your lie. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled, and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel and save face at the same time, but that's difficult to do. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. Here's what I would say. The laws of a nation need to change. It's, it's a natural progression that needs to happen. The laws of a nation are not the laws of God. Some of them are, but some of them are not. And some of them are just like, hey, here's how the world works today. And some of them are like, no, these are like this. And so what happens is people try to shift the laws of morality that should never shift that are based on biblical foundational. This is how you were made. This is how humans ought to act. And so we're afraid to change the laws that ought to. And we're, we change the laws that we shouldn't. Because we've got these little God complexes that we actually, but it always hurts the people. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, may your God, who you serve so faithfully, rescue you. Now, some of you come to church and you're like, would you pray to your God for me, pastor, so that he could. You know what's better is if he's your God. <laughs> like, no, God, Daniel, may my God protect you. Now may your God protect you. A stone was wrought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and seals of the nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. And I'm saying right now that somebody feels like there's no rescue for you. There's no rescue for you on this earth. No, absolutely not. But there is rescue for you in heaven. And when heaven comes down, then everything on the earth shifts and changes. You might be locked in and spending a night with lions. But if the Holy Spirit of God is there and the angels of God are there, it will be enough. No human can save you anyways. Then the king returned to his palace, spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment. I don't want to know what that is. And couldn't sleep at all that night. Probably video games. For some of you who are sort of saved. No, I'm just kidding. Very early the next morning, <laughs> the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lion? Daniel answers, long live the king. I'd be like, dude, short live the king. Shortly, you come down here into the lion's den, you idiot. Lock me in with a bunch of lions. Jerk. Something about Daniel's formula. Listen. He submitted to the lions. We just cram the same answer. And God says to you one day, like, stand up for yourself. And the next day he says, don't stand up for yourself. Paul and Silas, don't stand up for yourself. We're Roman citizens. They can't beat us. They can't put us in chains. Don't tell them. What? I'm supposed to stand up for myself. Stand up for my rights. God's like, not today. I need to save this jailer. Not today. Your neighbor needs you, and they need to see you broken. Not today. No, not today. Let's do this formula today. <laughs> he said, my God, could be your God, Darius, I'm just saying. Send his angels to shut the lion's mouth so they would not hurt me, for I have been, listen, I have been found innocent in his sight, which is more important than in your sight, and I have not wronged you, though you made it impossible for me to honor you and honor God at the same time, but I still honored God, and in honoring God, I did not dishonor you. Your laws, parents, are not God's laws. Be careful. You might be on top of God's laws, but what time your kids come home are not the laws of heaven. Now, if they want to eat and live indoors, maybe they need to come home by 11 o'clock. I'm just saying. But it's not like God wrote in the scriptures. 11 o'clock is a curfew for Christian teenagers. 
<laughs> he says, I, in good conscience, king, I disobeyed you because had I obeyed you, it would have actually hurt you. And I don't want to hurt you. Verse 25, then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Watch what God does in the turnaround. Now, this is what I want to say. You might see us singing here today. Well, my, the Bible that I read says, if I won't sing, then the rocks will cry out. If I won't sing, the nation will be unprotected. If I won't sing, something else is going to give and it's going to hurt the people. I'm like, I love you, but I'm still going to sing because I'm not going to get to heaven and there's going to be a pile of rocks in my spot. Like, yeah, well, he wouldn't do it. We're in. <laughs> Clackety clack. Man, I want to sing. Nobody's rock is going to take my spot. In singing, I believe that God will protect us. And the worship of heaven, and the worship not of heaven, but of God in heaven, and the word of God, and the return of our nation, and repentance to the Lord our God. God can protect us from anything and everything and bring prosperity and peace. Watch this. He said, peace and prosperity to you. King Darius has a change of heart. And sends this out and he says, I realize that I'm not that big a deal anymore. And I realize now who is. I declare that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. Not before me. Before the God of Daniel. If you won't fear the Lord, you'll fear everything else. And anything else you fear is an idol in your life and it needs to come down. Take the sugar packets out. Let it fall over. Let God tee up a golf ball on its head and be like, I got this. He says, I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble in fear for he is the living God and he will endure forever. And in a few years, nobody's going to know my name, but they're going to know the name of the God of Daniel. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. The word of the Lord to you. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lion. How did he do it? How did he take the formula that Daniel needed? How can he take the formula that you need and give it to you today? This is what the one thing I want you to do right today and this week. I, I want you to establish a new formula in your life. It says that Daniel here, it says, it says he knelt down as usual. He got the diagnosis from the doctor. He got the bad news. He had the bad experience. He, what, he saw what his teenagers were into. He and he knelt down as usual. Now, if you're not doing that as usual, when times of famine come, you're not going to arrive at the right answer. You're not gonna get what you need for your family. You're not gonna be who you need to be. And so right today, you have to decide, yeah, three times, I'm just gonna kneel down as usual. I'm gonna make it an as usual. I said A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Can I say this? C squared, is your character. And when your character is right in the sight of God, you can be in jail at midnight with your back torn open in prison that you shouldn't be in. And you can sing praises to the Lord your God when you're not supposed to. And God can shake the prison loose and, and not just set you free, but set everybody around you free. Because you have the character, you have the character to bleed when it's time to bleed. You have the character to not stand up for yourself when it's time to, you have the character to lay down and to ask for forgiveness when you know the other person needs to ask you, but God's like, you apologize first, get there first. Sacrifice first, get there. A squared plus B squared equals character. A squared, he knelt down as usual, always. B squared, bow. Always 
Wow, some people approach heaven with this, give me what I want. I, I, I'll decide for myself. Nah, not me. I don't know. I don't know who you are when you're at home, but when I'm in my prayer room, I'm just like, you know, I have people that I give orders to at times, and we might go to three services next week or two. I'm not sure yet. And our people will make it happen. They're incredible. But then I go into the prayer room, and I'm just like, always bow. Always bow. That's a secret. Always bow, and then I can have the character of heaven. See, God is the most creative being in the universe. When did he ever repeat a miracle exactly the same? He didn't. And if you look at the miracle that your parents got or that you got last year, you're going to be like, God, give me the same thing. And God's like, I want to do something new. I, because I can. I get bored with the stuff I do. I just want to do something new. But here's the thing that I know, that the character of God makes him predictable. That you know that he's always good. You know that he's got your back. You know that you might be in chains today, but joy comes in the morning. You know that when you choose joy, there's something that God does. You know that the resurrected, you know that death always ends in resurrection. And I want you today to decide I'm always going to bow. Three times a day, but I'm always just going to live with a bowed head. I might have to order my kids to clean their rooms, but then I come in and I'm the kid who's got to clean his room in the sight of God. Always be bowing. Always be bowing. Always be bowing. And when you have the character of God, anything is possible. Father, I pray for every person. We submit and we bow our hearts and we bend our knees, Lord God. Let us not have the proud backs and proud necks, Father, that stare up into heaven and demand something of you, Lord God. We worship you. We don't evaluate our worship. We just give everything to the Lord our God who is above evaluation and above reproach, above our judgment and petty human concerns and petty human decisions, Lord God. I pray that you would come in now and give us the character of the Lord our God, that the people of God would look like the Lord their God this week in the name of Jesus, that we would bow in that situation where we're standing proud and tall, that we would lower our eyes and, and bow in the sight of heaven and say, okay, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do when I go home and have to face that thing that I've got to face all week? What do you want me to do? How do I bow? How do I give you what you want so that I can have a little bit of your character inside of me by the Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name.